Well, I ask you this Christmas season, what is the best news that you could receive at Christmas? What is the best news that you could receive at Christmas? I was, uh, I came across a story that I thought was quite interesting. There was, uh, about f- uh, four years ago now, there was a company in Maryland, a real estate company, that uh, gave a Christmas bonus. Now, maybe you have received a Christmas bonus uh, in the past and been encouraged by that. There was a company in Maryland, as I said, that in 2019, the founder of the company and the head of the company announced to his approximately 200 employees that they would be splitting $10 million. $10 million split between about 200 employees, and it depended on how long each employee had been with the company. But the average was around $50,000 in one Christmas bonus. I suspect that most of us think that would be some good news that we would have received on Christmas. And they actually showed in this story a video of it, and these, you know, he had them tear open their checks, and they looked at the amount and just immediately, you know, could not believe $10 million split among about 200 employees. Well, this morning we have already heard about good news that was given about 2,000 years ago by angels. In, in Luke chapter 2, in which this is recorded, these are the words that the angels say, For unto you, they told those shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they told them that this was good tidings, literally good news of great joy. Good news that would bring them great joy. And what I want to ask you this morning again is what is the best news that you could receive this Christmas that would cause you this kind of great joy? Well, as we've already seen displayed this morning, as we've already heard and sung about ourselves, there is wonderful news that just like to those shepherds 2,000 years ago is good news of great joy to you. And this morning, for just the next few minutes, I'd like to speak to you on a message I'm going to title Christmas Tidings. Christmas Tidings. And from Luke chapter 2, I'd like to look at those tidings that the angels gave those shepherds on that first Christmas and ask what kind of news they bring to us on this Christmas as well. In Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible this morning, we'll just look at those words again that we already had demonstrated for us by our children today. This is immediately after Jesus has been born in a stable placed in a manger, in a feeding trough, because there is no room for him in the city of Bethlehem, swelling over with people who are coming back uh, in light of this worldwide tax that was placed by Caesar Augustus. And if you look with me, we'll pick up the narrative in verse 8. 
Luke records, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, simply living out their job as a shepherd, dwelling with the sheep at night. And verse 9 says, And lo, or behold, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So again, you put yourself in their shoes. They're sitting in the dark of night on a chilly night in Bethlehem, and suddenly the sky just blows open. And there are angels there. And the glory of the Lord is shining on them. Now again, in our Old Testament, whenever the glory of the Lord appeared to people, what did they do? They fell on their faces I mean, we're talking about blinding light, like the glory of God himself shining brighter than, than, than the brightest bulb you can think of, shining on them. I would have been terrified too. They were extremely afraid. And the angel said unto them, this angel that has appeared, the angel said unto them, fear not, don't be afraid. Why? For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So you don't need to be afraid. Be excited. Don't be anxious. Be happy. I'm bringing you the best possible news, which is to the entire world. For unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Do you want confirmation, he says? Do you want to know certainly that Jesus has come? The Savior has come? And he is your Savior? Well, this will be the sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Christmas tidings. Notice that these good tidings have to do with a place. A place. That's our first point this morning. It has to do with a place. Notice again what the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now to 21st century Americans, that might not mean much at all. The city of David? What is the city of David, you might ask? Well that would require us to think back to our Old Testaments. What was the city of David in the Old Testament? Where did David, the greatest king of Israel, where did he grow up? What was his hometown? It was not Jerusalem. It was what? It was Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was not a very important town. It was not a, a big city. In the Midwest here, in Minnesota, we talk of ourselves as flyover country. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's where the people fly over when they go from New York to L.A. and they kind of wave down at us. Oh, you poor little people there in the Midwest. We kind of develop that complex about ourselves. Well, just imagine Bethlehem was flyover country. It was a small little town. It didn't have much to commend it. But it was the city of David. It was the place where David had lived. Now, why was this important? Because as we just said, David was Israel's greatest king. You see, Israel was absolutely set on looking back to the past. Israel's best days, they felt, were behind them. 
Because the reality of the people of Israel was, while they had had a great kingdom, and they had great kings, and they had great military success, to the first century Jew, they would have looked around and said, where is it now? We're dominated by the Romans. We don't have even our own king. Well, Herod was a kind of king, but he wasn't even a full Jew. He was an Idumean. He was not even of the line of David. And so these faithful Jews are looking at being dominated militarily by the Romans. Their own king is a vassal king, is a king who is dominated again by Caesar and who has to give taxes to Caesar and give recognition to Caesar. And they're saying, oh, those good old days when David was our king. But it was another thing. It was that they were relying on prophecies from their Old Testament prophets that a king would arise who would be like David, who would be their deliverer, who would be the one who would throw off the shackles of their, of, of their slavery, of their bondage, of their enemies, and establish a kingdom just like David's. And in fact, this king would come from David's city. Yes, Bethlehem. Listen to the book of Micah. Micah, a, a, a prophet of the Old Testament, says hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Listen to these words in Micah chapter 5. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, there's that city, you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Bethlehem, you're just a tiny, insignificant town. But, but out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now think about those words. You, Bethlehem, you small city, out of you is going to come the one who's going to be ruler, and not just any ruler, the kind of ruler from me whose goings forth have been forever in the past. There's going to be something special about this ruler, about this king, from the city of David. And so the people of Israel were looking forward to someone coming from David's city of old, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And they were looking ahead to this ruler coming who would establish the glory of Israel yet again. They were waiting for their conquering hero. So now these shepherds, sitting in the fields, watching over their flock, humble people themselves, waiting for what? Nothing? They're just sitting there in the field. And the angel says, hey, I've got great news for you boys. There's someone born tonight from the city of David. Whoa. Okay. Now you have my attention. A place. But not just a place. Notice what this good news says. Secondly, about the person who had been born. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. Now, my understanding is that secular people would use this Greek word to describe a great king, a great conqueror, a great ruler. This kind of Savior. But I wonder what the word Savior means to you. 
What, what does the word Savior mean? If, if I came to you this morning and said, you know what, you need a Savior. Put aside any preconceptions of Jesus and religion and faith and Scripture. What does that mean? It means this. Someone's going to deliver you. Someone's going to, well, save you. It's a person who rescues people. Now, I wonder today if you've been saved. Oh, I don't mean even in a spiritual sense. I mean rescued, delivered. Your car is a flat tire and some good Samaritan pulls alongside, the side of the, uh, alongside you on the road and helps you put on your spare. That person has, in a sense, delivered you. You were in financial crisis and someone came through with a gift that, that gave you exactly the amount of money you need. That person, in a sense, rescued you. They, they, they saved you. And now the angel is coming to these shepherds who had no previous notice and saying, hey, hey boys, there, there's someone who's here to save you, to, to deliver you or to, to rescue you. You could see how that would be good news. There's a Savior who was born, a great ruler in the city of David who's made it his mission to watch out for you. That's good news. But it's not just good news that, that it was a Savior. Notice also what it said. A Savior which is Christ. Christ. Now what does this word mean? This word means literally anointed. Christ means the anointed one. And this word was used and understood to refer to the Messiah. The people, that king that the Old Testament Jews were looking forward to. Here was our deliverer. Here was our Messiah. He was the anointed one. Now again, we don't deal with being anointed very often. What does that mean? Well, if you go back into your Old Testament, you would see that when someone was set apart for something special... He or she was anointed. Was there a new king that was going to be established? What would happen to that king? They would be anointed. In fact, if any of you watched the ceremony of Prince Charles, when uh, Prince Charles became King Charles at the death of Queen Elizabeth, what happened to him? How was he installed as the king of Great Britain? He was anointed. He was anointed with oil. Some things from the past still are in place today. Well, or in the Old Testament, if someone was a priest, if he would be made the high priest to stand before God, before the, the Old Testament people of Israel, he would be anointed. A prophet would be anointed. It was a way of saying, this person is special. This person of chose, is chosen of God for a particular kind of task. And so for the angel to say, this Savior is Christ. He's the anointed one. It was to say, he's qualified for the job. He is specifically selected to be the Savior by God himself. He is the Christ. Now, you know, there's something in many of us, particularly from the time we're children, about being this kind of hero, about being this kind of deliverer. I, I, I am going through that period of time right now with my four-year-old. Do, you know, do you know who his hero is right now? Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Right, I mean, he just, he can't get enough Spider-Man. 
Uh, it was funny last night. We were we were he he we heard him whimpering in the middle of the night. And he was he was just he was he was having one of those scary times as a little boy. And he said, "I'm just thinking about bad guys coming in." And I said, "You know what? Just we got to change the way you're thinking. Why don't you think of Spider-Man getting those bad guys?" And that seemed to be enough of the trick to to put him back to sleep initially. Spider-Man. And you know what? At, 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 and you know what? At, at Halloween or things, you know what he wants to dress up as? Spider-Man. And he goes out and he has just idea of these webs that he's going out to get people. You know, I love Xander to death, but he's not qualified to be Spider-Man. I mean, you think about these little kids in these, in these Halloween costumes. I, I'm going to get the bad guys. I, what would happen if a bad guy showed up? Those webs wouldn't work too well because he's not qualified. But here the angel is saying, this savior, this deliverer, this rescuer is qualified. He's Christ. And he's not just Christ. He's the Lord. Don't miss that. He is Christ the Lord. This word for the Lord literally has the idea of, of, of just being the dominant one. The, the one with all authority. The one who has the power to say things and they happen. Do you know who was called Lord in this day? Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And Christians were killed over and over again for saying, no, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. They were willing to die for that because what they were saying was, it's not Caesar who has the power here. Oh, Caesar has a lot of power, but he doesn't have the power. Jesus is the one who has the power. He is Christ. He is the anointed one. And he is the Lord, he has all authority. So step back here for just a moment. This angel appears to these shepherds and says, boys, I've got the best news for you. I've got news that should make you extremely happy, that should fill you with joy. There's a Savior that was born. And not only does he have the desire to be a Savior, he is qualified to be the Savior because he's chosen by God. And he has all the power to be the Savior because he's the Lord. He is the one in charge. He's a savior. And you know, friends, for 2,000 years, Christians at Christmas have been celebrating exactly that. That what we saw displayed for us this morning is the heart of our faith. That 2,000 years ago, truly, in the city of David, there was a savior born. And that Savior is Christ, chosen by God in fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies made hundreds and thousands of years before, and that this Christ is the Lord who will reign forever, and to whom all of us will give account one day of our own lives and how we have lived them. He is Christ the Lord. And to the angel, this was the greatest news that he possibly could have given on this Christmas. There's a place that's mentioned here in this Christmas tidings. There's a person that is mentioned. But no notice finally what I'm going to call a personal delivery. A personal delivery. Don't miss these words. Will you see this with me in verse 11? Why are these good tidings of great joy? Because for unto you is born this day. Unto you. That would be one thing if Jesus had come. For the rich in his age? It would be one thing if, if these good tidings were for those who were particularly good, upright, moral, upstanding people. That would be one thing. 
It's another thing for the angel to come to these humble shepherds out in the field at night and say, this Savior is born to you. And indeed, what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus was born to you and for you and me. To all of us. That's why the angel says, these good tidings of great joy shall be to all people, not just some. To all people. Now I want to reflect on that for just a few moments before we close here. Why is it so important that this good news is to you and indeed to everyone? And why is it that in our day and age today so many people refuse or fail to see this news as good news? I want to suggest this. News is only good to the extent it matches up with your need or your desire. Let me say that again. News is only good to the extent that it lines up with your need or your desire. And let me give you an example. Remember that story I told at the beginning, the $50,000 per person that was given in this Christmas bonus? What if one of those people in the room who was receiving that check was a billionaire? Elon Musk, Bill Gates, I don't know, one of them. And they said, sir, here's your $50,000 check. Do you think Bill Gates would have responded by jumping up and down and clapping his hands and weeping and crying? Wow, I can't believe it. Bill Gates might have turned it over to his personal assistant and said, sure, go put that in the bank. Thank you, appreciate it. Because Bill Gates doesn't need $50,000. It wouldn't have been particularly great news to him. Certainly not like it was to the person who said, you know, these, this is going to help pay off my mortgage. This is going to help get me out of credit card debt. This is going to help go into my college fund for my child. This is going to keep the lights on this winter. To that person? Well, that was great news. No. Whether news is good or not depends on what your needs are and what your desires are. Remember, several years ago, now well over a decade ago, I went into the doctor for the results of, of an MRI. And at that MRI, it was an MRI of my brain, and, and the doctor pulled up the photos and said, this is just great news. He was pointing at, at this picture of my brain, and there was a big hole. There's a big hole. It's just an empty cavity in my brain. Great news. Great news. He said, Peter, we, we know you have a hole up there somewhere. We've been listening to you preach for a while. Okay, stop being cynical, okay? Stop being sarcastic. No, how could it be good news that I had a big hole in my brain? Do you know how it could be? Because you should have seen the MRI before it. The MRI before it showed no hole. It just showed a big tumor. It showed something filling that hole that was starting to press against my brain stem or get very close to it and restrict the flow of spinal fluid up into my of brain fluid and giving me bad headaches. It was great news that I had a hole in my brain. That's because the surgeon who went in there with a very sharp knife did exactly what I wanted him to. He got all of it. He took it out completely. You know, the fact that I had a hole in my brain was a really good piece of news. And it's the same thing for the news that all of us would receive in our lives. If someone came to you and said, I've got, I've got great news, I'm, I'm here to save you, and it was a doctor, it wouldn't mean anything to you if you were healthy. I don't, what do I need saving from? I'm healthy. 
If an accountant came to you and said, I'm here to rescue your finances and you were already set for life and we're never going to worry about your finances again, you'd say, why do I need? Why do I need delivery? Why do I need rescue? I'm set. But it would mean a lot to you if you were under investigation for tax fraud. It would mean a lot to you if you were struggling, you didn't know where your retirement funds were coming from. And the same is true here. What does it mean that Jesus came to be a Savior? Why is that good news? It must be because God is telling us something about ourselves. It's telling us who we need, who we are, and what we need. That's why it's good news of great joy. It's to you this Savior is come. But you see, there's a problem all along here for these first Jewish people who heard it. They would have been willing to say, oh, I need a Savior. I need one to deliver me. I need a, a rescue. But do you know what their ver very first thought would have been? They would have said, I need a Savior to save us from them. Now what they meant by that was the Romans, their enemies, the people out there. They were looking for a savior to come who would be a great king to conquer those whom they hated. But do you know what the Bible tells us about the work and the ministry of Jesus? Jesus came not first to save you from them. He came to save you from you. And that's ultimately the best news on Christmas. That Jesus came to save you from yourself. And the reason people don't think that Christmas is filled with very good news is because they don't want to admit that they need to be saved from themselves. They don't want to admit that they do have a problem, that without a Savior, they're in trouble. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we have a huge problem. Because in the way that we live in the way we think, in the way we speak, in the way we act, we, our problem, is that we are offending a holy God. A God who made us to live by His two great commandments for, God, for mankind. To love Him supremely and to love others selflessly. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, God says. And love your neighbor as yourself. The two great duties for man. And if we were all being honest with ourselves, we would see that we violate those two great duties every day by what we do, and by what we leave undone. And as a result of that, the message of the Bible from front to back is that we stand under the judgment of a God who must prosecute that rebellion against Him. This is the message that the angel gave, is that to you, this Savior came to deliver you, not only from yourself, but from your sin, and from the consequences of that sin, what the Bible calls eternity, in a place called hell. We are our own worst enemies. We are the one who have chosen rebellion against God, and deserve His judgment. And you see, unless we are willing this morning to accept that fundamental fact about ourselves, 
that, G, that God sent a Savior because I need it. I need to be delivered from my sin. I need to be delivered from the punishment that I deserve. It won't be particularly good news for you this morning that Jesus came. It'll be simply news that doesn't appear relevant to you. When Jesus came to earth, he told people that were there, he said, they that are whole, they that are healthy, have no need of a physician, of a doctor. But they that are sick... Friends, if you're going to hear the message of the angels, the best news that is intended to make us glad, it's going to start by us admitting that I have a problem, that I'm sick, and that I need to be delivered from myself, my own instincts, my own moral judgments, my own failings. But more than that, but more than that, what then is the solution? What is the solution for that fundamental problem? Well, we've already heard what the solution is. It's the Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Savior to you. He was born for you. But I, 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 let's not stop there. Listen to what the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now listen to again what he's saying. You will find him. This Savior is for you. He was born unto you. And you'll find him. Go look. Go look. Do you know the message is the same today? Do you want to find a Savior to deliver you from yourself, from your own sin and its consequences? Then you'll find him. You'll find him. If you look, you'll find him. To find this Savior is to believe the word that the angel said. There is a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord, and he's born for you. To find him is to believe his own words when he said, He that comes to me, I will in no wise, under no circumstances, cast out. Jesus is never someone, when you come to knock on his door and say, Jesus, save me, he will never kick you out into the street. He will never do that. Jesus is the one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll take those burdens. I'll take that sin. I will give you perfect forgiveness. I will be your Savior. And so my first question for you this morning, as we listen to the words that, these angel, that this angel said 2,000 years ago, is whether Jesus truly is your Savior. Whether you have accepted Him as your Deliverer. Whether you have come to Him acknowledging your need and saying, Jesus, I do need a Savior. I am sick. I am broken. I need to be saved from myself and from my sin. Will you be my Savior? Will you be my Deliverer? That's the first step. And I would just plead with you this morning, if you're here today and you have come to watch this Christmas program and you don't know whether you can say truly that unto you that Savior was born, for your sake that Savior was given, my prayer is that you won't leave here this morning until you know from the Word of God 
that Jesus is your deliverer. And if you have any questions about this this morning, see me after church or, or anyone else from, from, from our church here. We would love to take the Bible and show you what it means to make Jesus your Savior. But there's one more thing that I'd like to say because I know I'm talking to many people here today who have already made that choice. You have taken Jesus as your Savior. He's your deliverer from sin. Notice what the angel said. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Of great joy. And the question I have for you this morning is can you honestly say that in this Christmas season? That these Christmas tidings, that there's a Savior who is Christ the Lord, is truly a great joy to you. I want to suggest to you this morning that your joy is a little bit like a meat thermometer. You say, well, I'm going to have to explain a little bit more about that. Well, if you ever come over to my house on a summer evening, the likelihood is that we're going to have some meat that we're going to throw on the grill. And we're going to be doing a little bit of a grill out, a little cookout. We're going to be having some barbecue or something like that. And the chances are that I'm going to take a, a thermometer at one point, and I'm going to stick it into the middle of the meat, whatever's on the grill. And I'm going to use that grill to say how hot that meat is. Why? Because I don't know what it is. I, I can't put my finger on the outside and tell what the temperature of the inside is. I need something to get into the heart of the matter and tell me what's really going on in there. And I want to suggest to you that our joy is a little bit like that. What you rejoice in is really like that meat thermometer that gets to your heart and tells you what the temperature is, what you really love, what you really value. And you know what, this Christmas season, that's a really good question for us. Because there's a lot of things that we can take joy in during this Christmas season, and rightfully so. You know, I take joy in coming into a church that's decorated like this, that looks beautiful with all these lights. How probably some of you go off on drives in your neighborhood looking at the Christmas lights. There's nothing wrong with that. That's an, that's an appropriate part of joy. I find joy in it. I find joy in the music we sing at Christmas, music we sing once in the year. Some of you find great joy in the time you'll spend this year with family, loved ones, maybe from far or from near. You'll gather around a Christmas table and you'll have so much joy. That's a wonderful joy. Some of you will find joy in the food you eat this Christmas. Not those of you who are eating lutefisk with us at our house. You'll find old, that's, that's, that's pure duty. There's no joy in that. But some of you will find some joy in the food you eat and the Christmas cookies you eat. And there's nothing wrong with that. God made food to be enjoyed. But do you know what? It's a problem if any of those things are your greatest joy this Christmas. It's a problem if any of those side dishes are taking the part of your joy in the main meal, in the feast that God has given us this Christmas. And that greatest feast, that greatest joy, is that there's a Savior born who is your Savior. He is Christ the Lord. So as we go from this church and as we live out the rest of this Christmas season together, I hope that you're able to hear the words that those angels sing. That you're able to hear that proclamation that was first given 2,000 years ago, that there are good tidings of great joy. And I hope above all things 
that you will be able to find your greatest joy this Christmas season in these simple words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord.